0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Lord, we, uh, we really do believe that the preaching of your word is different than every other spoken communication. And the world has trained us to either seek entertainment or critique what we're hearing. But when you speak to us through your preachers, Lord, we believe that it is holy time and those are holy words. And we know, God, that far more than the eloquence of the speaker, it is the openness of our hearts that will make the difference. And so we ask each one of us, wherever our minds or hearts may be this morning, that you would open our hearts to you and what you're going to say. We believe that we are not here by accident, but we need to hear these words today. And so open our hearts, pave the way, and we pray that these words would change the way we think and see and understand and live. We pray that you would hold up Pastor Frank as he preaches, give him the anointing of your Holy Spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I really have no idea how I'm going to follow up after Emily because that's probably the real sermon there. You know what I mean? So what you're hearing afterwards kind of is, is fluff. I've, I've also noticed over the years that I've been at Harvest, it always seems I follow somebody <laughs> who lives out the sermon and then afterwards. So, yeah. And I'm also glad for the break because I don't think I could have gotten up here right afterwards um, either. Second Chronicles... Chapter 20. Now, before we start, I just I want to warn you um, that the big idea of this passage is not the big idea that I'm going to focus on, which is probably a, a little bit unfair to the text itself and the message that God wants to convey, which ultimately is that he is in control. And uh, when he takes charge, uh, good things happen. I'm going to focus on something a little bit different, and I'm going to focus on the part of waiting. So for those of you who are a little bit more technical, the big point or the big idea that I'm going to try to get across is not necessarily the big idea of this passage. I'm going to run us through it, and uh, then we're going to get to that place where we're going to apply it. So we're going to try a little bit of a, a, a give-and-go story, principle, illustration sort of thing. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We'll read the first verse. It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Meunites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Now, when you pull a king out of the hat, in a sense, you're at a loss as to what's really going on here. And I want to give you just a little bit of a background of who Jehoshaphat is. He's basically, overall, a very good king. In fact, if you read through Kings and Chronicles, it talks about uh, this was a good king, and here's why, and here's the things that he did and went into that. And that's the first few verses that when you read a little bit earlier on here in Second Chronicles is what is exactly said of Jehoshaphat. He is a good king. It's a very good start. Unfortunately, as you move along in the story, you finally get to a place where it says that after gaining much wealth and honor, Jehoshaphat got a little arrogant and he made a bad choice. He decided to make an alliance with his cousin king in the northern kingdom, Ahab. And if you know anything about Ahab, Ahab was the most wicked and evil of the northern kings. Not a good guy. And when he's making this alliance, he's basically saying, God, I have achieved wealth and honor. I'm in a good place. I don't need you anymore. And so I'm going to make this alliance, which is a bad alliance, probably in your eyes. Of course, Jehoshaphat wouldn't say that, but from a a third view perspective. But I'm going to do this and uh, I'm going to go my own way. I think this is going to work out. I see some benefits to this. This is a good idea. It's a good plan. But it's not because Ahab talks Jehoshaphat going to war. And in the midst of the big battle, here's how good of an ally Ahab is. He turns to Jehoshaphat and he says, listen, um, I know they're gunning for me. This is a paraphrase, by the way. This is not the new international version or anything. But I know they're gunning for me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in disguise, okay? But you go in your kingly robes, okay, dude? <laughs> and we're gonna go fight. So, what happens? Well, in the midst of the battle, as the enemy's looking out for the king, they go, hey, that guy in the nice looking robes over there must be Ahab. Let's go get him and let's kill him. Because the reality is, it's Jehoshaphat. That's a great ally, isn't it? It's like having a friend who comes up to you and says, hey, you know, um, I don't know, let's go skiing. And uh, I'm going to take the nice little cliff here that goes, not nice little cliff because there's no nice cliff, right? I'm going to take the nice, I don't go skiing either. I'm going to take this nice little path down, but you go down that really treacherous way, okay, buddy? Because you're going to really love skiing. I know you've never gone skiing before. What kind of friend is that? It's not a really good friend. Well, in the midst of this battle, Jehoshaphat says, whoa, God, help me. I'm in trouble because they're gunning for me. God, in his mercy and grace, reaches out and protects Jehoshaphat. In the end, Ahab gets killed anyway, even though he's in disguise, because some guy in the midst of whatever is like, I'm going to shoot an arrow, shoots an arrow, and he kills the king. I mean, in a sense, lucky shot. Probably didn't even know that he did it. But in the providence of God, Ahab got what's coming to him. Well, when Jehoshaphat returns back to Judah, what happens? He realizes, what have I done? I've done something wrong. And he becomes a revival king. Uh, he makes a Billy Graham type tour. He visits the land and he's trying to tell people about God. And he's he's trying to draw them back. We, don't, we can't worship these false gods. We've got to stay away from them. We've got to get rid of all this stuff. We must turn back to God. And that's how chapter 19 ends. And let's read it again. After this. The Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. That's what you get for following God. Here he is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Mind you, that was sarcasm. Doing what he's supposed to be doing. And this tragedy comes into his life. It's a tragedy because as they're going to enter into the land of Judah people are going to die. The very people that he had spent time with are dying or are surrounded by this vast number of people. It's heartbreaking for Jehoshaphat. Verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already, they are already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, consider the situation again. In the midst of his context, his life, Jehoshaphat is serving God. When we serve God, we're not inoculated from tragedy. Many times, great tragedy happens in the lives of those that are pursuing God. We could even say with Phil, who has made many great strides in the last few years to have a heart attack, is not one of the greatest things that you'd want to have. I mean, how many of us wake up in the morning and go, today is the day I would love to have a heart attack. Nothing else to do. I think it's just something that I want to do. None of us, because we know the danger of it. But that's what happens to Jehoshaphat. He may have even had his quiet time that morning, experienced the presence of God, and as he sits down to whether it's breakfast or he's getting ready to make decisions and hold court, some guys come up to him and say, oh, sire, king, we have news for you. And the news is that there's this vast army. Translation, we tried to count, but there's so many of them, we really don't know how many of them really are. And I love Jehoshaphat's reaction because I think this is the reaction that most, uh, if not all of us, will have when some sort of tragedy like this happens. He's alarmed. He's alarmed. Some versions say he's afraid, which is good. It's a real thing. It is a real reaction when tragedy happens. You wake up in the morning, you go to work, and they hand you a pink slip. It's a tragedy. You think to yourself, how am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to take care of my family? What are we going to be able to do through all of this? I don't know many people that would go, thank God. And maybe some of you might. if you got fired, you could go look somewhere else. But not many people in a place with family and kids and a home and all the other stuff are going to say, I'm so glad today that I got fired and I have no way to make a living. And I'm really worried about having to feed my family. Wow, that's awesome. No, his reaction is, I'm alarmed. This is a tragedy. This is horrible. People are dying and more will die. My people, my people whom I've grown to love and care about and see them come to know the Lord more, now are experiencing tragedy themselves. And he's alarmed. But his reaction goes on. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Here's what I think, to me, Jehoshaphat's reaction says. It says this, I know what the truth is, and I know what the facts are. The facts are pretty simple. The facts are that while I woke up this morning, everything was cool. But these guys came and told me about this vast army, this army that is way too large for us in the land of Judah to handle. They're sitting at our doorstep. Those are the facts. And they're coming to Jerusalem and their intent and purpose in coming to Jerusalem is to either destroy this city or capture this city, but ultimately to be rulers of this land. Those are the facts. There's no way to get away from that. But the truth is, my God is bigger than the facts. So I don't care what the facts say all I know is that I've been walking with God and even though I don't understand what God is doing and even though I'm alarmed or living in fear and having a difficult time with this, I will seek God because the facts do not run my life. The truth does. And the truth is that my God is bigger than this vast army. And so instead of living in fear, what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather everybody together and we're going to fast and pray. Because we all know the facts. There's not anyone going there and saying, no, there's no army there. There's no illness. There's no whatever it is that the difficult situation there is. That's reality. And we have to face that. It is there. It is difficult. It is hard. It is painful. It is to a place where I want to give up. And I think listening to that song and listening to Emily, it's a statement of, listen, this is not easy. I can stand before you and say, God has been good, but it's still not easy. And I don't want to go through it. And I can tell you as a parent, I want none of my kids to go through that. And I can tell you anyone who's a parent here worth their weight in gold will say the same thing. Because it is hard. It is difficult. It is painful. When our son Daniel had his surgery for his heart, you just sit there and you wonder. What happens something goes wrong. And every time I look at that little one and I see her running around and having fun and I just and, and, and not to be a pessimist, but living in a real world, wondering what if something goes wrong? Can I be like Jehoshaphat? And inquire and seek God in the midst of that. I look at Jehoshaphat and I go, man, I don't think I could do that. I honestly don't think I could do that. I think my response would be, God, what? Look, are you blind? What have I done for all of these years? And this is what I get. Jehoshaphat is different. And as we follow this king and we want to learn from him, I want to know why. Why are you different? This bothers me. Because your initial reaction is fear, and yet you resolve to inquire of the Lord. How does somebody do that? Because Jehoshaphat had a grasp that the truth was more important than the facts. He understood that his God was bigger than his problem. I once heard a vineyard pastor years ago. Man, it had to be at least 20 years ago. He said, The problem is not the problem. The problem is our reaction to the problem. Because you're always going to have problems. That's the only thing I remember that guy said. But it stuck with me because it's the reality. Because really, what are we, what is, in a sense, he's saying that the problem is the problem. It is a problem. You cannot deny that it is a problem. You can never do that. Once you do that, you're losing part of the battle. But the bigger problem is our reaction to the problem. Jehoshaphat, never having heard what that pastor said, living thousands of years beforehand, understood that and understood that the truth is more important than the facts. So he gathers the people together, and let's hear what he says. Then Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said. "O Lord. God of our fathers. Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. And no one can withstand you. O oh, our God. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel? And give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. The truth is greater than the facts. It's like, what did David see when he saw Goliath? Did he see the nine-foot giant that was in the way? No, what he saw was this puny guy who was messing around with his God. And he wasn't going to stand for it. When the Syrian army came and they surrounded the city in which the prophet Elijah was, and his servant Gehazi went out there and he said, Wow, master, look at this, man. They're surrounding us. We're going to die. This is bad. And what did Elijah say? Dude, you need new eyes. You need to open your eyes. And so Elijah prayed and he opened up the eyes of Gehazi and Gehazi saw, wow, there's a lot of Syrians. They're still there. They didn't go, they didn't go anywhere, but there's a vast army of angels surrounding them greater than the host of the Syrians. That's what he saw. When Daniel was dropped into the lion's den, he didn't see a bunch of kitty cats chasing mice around. He saw lions. Those are the facts. They're lions. They're hungry. You look good. I want to eat you. But he saw the truth. And that's what Jehoshaphat is saying. He says, God, you're bigger than all of this. It's not good. Still not good. But you're bigger than all of this. He goes on. Verse 10. But now here are men from Amnon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Absolute facts. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I love that prayer. I love that prayer. Because I feel like that's all I pray I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. I am stuck. Jehoshaphat says, God, this army is way, 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 way too big for us. And we don't know what to do. Do we stay here in Jerusalem and we hunker down for six to nine months, hoping that when they come and they lay siege, we can hold out long enough that they'll take off and leave us alone, like back in the days of Hezekiah. Or do we go out and face them in battle? What do we do, God? I have no idea what to do. I'm a little confused. Uh, we're seeing revival happen in the land. And then this tragedy comes along. And it, it's, we're stuck. I'm just lost. I'm just lost. And he prays this prayer and he finishes with a basic, simple way of going. I'm not going to make plans because I can't make plans. I'm just going to say, I don't know. Wouldn't that be great leadership? You come to a church and the pastor says, dudes, I have no idea what we're going to do. How long are you going to stay there? We want we want leaders who have vision. We want leaders who have a strategic mind to, to go out there and, and give us the things we need to do and get done so we can conquer what we're supposed to conquer. And this guy before everybody says, oh, God, I have no idea what do you want to do. Well, I don't know. That is the craziest prayer, I think, in Scripture. And, of course, maybe some other prayer will come along and I'll say that's the craziest prayer. But right now, for me, that's the craziest prayer because he's saying I have no idea what to do because me, I'm planning. We got things to do, man. We've got strategies. I mean, even in our staff the other day, we came up with a list of when we have an event. Here's the things we, we need to do. It's like, where's the 911? Pull out the emergency paper and go, okay, we do step one, step two, step three. Okay, you do this, you do that, you do this, and let's get to it. In absolute humility, Jehoshaphat says, God, I'm lost, man. Well, he didn't say man because he's talking to God. He says, I'm lost, God. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. He closes his prayer, and this is another crazy thing. I love this. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I like that one of the authors that I read said they were silent. How many of you are uncomfortable with that? Five seconds, right? It's like, come on, say something. Because we don't like to be silent. We don't like to wait. We want an answer. I don't know if you're like me, but I'll tell you this much. When I pray, I tell God, God, okay, this is what's happening. I know you're in heaven. I know you see that. I'm not really sure you're seeing fully, but I'm going to tell you, this is what's happening. Okay. Now, what's the answer? Okay. uh, And then I'm on my way. I can picture the scene of these people just standing there. Some are weeping, some are crying, some are in fear, thinking of what's going to happen or what could possibly happen. And there's still yet silence and they're waiting for God to say something because the leader has said, I have no idea why this is happening. And I have no idea as to how we're going to get out of this. Isn't that wonderful? And they sit there and they're silent. Now, how many of you love to wait? Wait. How many of you are waiting to turn 50? (laughs) Some of you are over 50. That's okay. We still love you and always will. Next year, believe it or not, I will be 50. Yeah, I know I'm old, um, but I still played softball for four games yesterday and my legs don't hurt yet, but they'll kill me tomorrow. (laughs) How many of us love waiting in lines at the grocery store? Simple first world problem. If you're like me, you go to the grocery store, uh, even Dominic's, although Andrew's not here, so I can say something about Dominic's, right? Even you go to Dominic's and you you know you see the, the short line and the longer line, and you think to yourself, and I don't know if you get like me, and I, and I think I've shared this before, you start paying attention to who's where in the line, right? Because you want to beat them out, so you might look for that line and you get the shorter line, and you think you're going to beat them out, and what happens? The old lady in front of you starts arguing about the price. Price check, counter three, right? So you're stuck and you're seeing all the people that were behind you going by. Don't you get angry? Let's be honest, drivers. How about those times when they have those merges, right? Right? And, and if you're like me, you're the cool guy that goes on the side and you got all the people and the other person that drives over just a little bit so they don't let those people buy, right? You don't like waiting. How angry do you get when you're in that line and you're watching those people go? Because we don't like to wait. We hate to wait. And we bring it into our prayer lives. And we say, God, here is my situation. I know you know my situation. You know me. You know my circumstances. We've got that understood. Great. Now, speak to me immediately. So we can get done what we need to get done. Because we can't wait. And I wonder if God says, oh, hold on a second, well, more than a second. Uh, let's talk 25 years, like the time Abraham had to wait to have that child. Hey, let's talk 120 years, the time that Noah had to wait. Let's wait a little bit here. I don't think God's response was immediate. I think there was a sense of dependence where the people are waiting literally upon God, something that is lost in our culture and our spiritual lives today because we don't know how to be silenced before God because we want to be strategic and visionary and get things done because if we don't get things done, then we're not really doing things that God wants us to do, not realizing that the big thing that God might very well want us to do is to slow down and wait And let him take over. It's like Habakkuk. Whose complaint was. God. Look at this. I look around me. And all I see is corruption. And he wasn't even living in Illinois. Right? All I see is corruption. And violence. Chicago. I don't understand God. You don't make sense to me. So God answers them. Oh, dude, man, I got it covered. Relax. I'm going to send the Babylonians. They're going to kill everybody. Yeah, great plan, God, right? Becca says, I I don't understand that plan, God. I don't understand what's going on. But though I see the facts, they're the facts. The truth is you are bigger than that. And so he says, what? I will wait. Goes up on the mountain and He waits. And he waits, and God responds. And in the end, what does he say? This is awesome, God. Situation's ugly. It's getting worse. And I'm going to trust you because I know that you are bigger than all of this. And people are going to lose their lives. And people are going to have horrible things happening to them. And it is not what you want. It's not the very thing that you would love to have people have. But I'm going to trust that as God, you are in control. In the Habakkuk's time, everyone did not have a happy ending. And we know that the world that we live in, everyone does not have a happy ending. That's why it's called tragedy. Because it is a tragedy. Death is a tragedy. I met with a friend of mine uh, since fifth grade and uh, talking through lunch and just going through some of the things that we've remembered and and how one of his neighbors, uh, they lost their two-year-old child to a drowning accident. How, how do you answer that? It's things like that that break my heart. I cannot grasp or fathom why that happens. It's a tragedy. All death is a tragedy. To, to see my father, uh, vibrant and healthy all of his life, have a stroke at 85, and then the next two years just nosedive. To, to see him end the way he ended. It's a tragedy. He lived a full life. Lived a good life. Glad he was my father. I thank God for him. But it's still a tragedy. And a lot of us experience tragedy. In fact, all of us do. Never get beyond that. But I think what we miss, more often than not, because we're so focused on the facts, is the truth of who God is. And the people just stood there And they waited in silence. God, what is it that you're doing? Help us. We are in need. We are scared. We are fearing literally for our lives. This is a bad situation. Well, this is one of the craziest stories in Scripture because... This is how God responds. Verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. So God's going to speak now through this prophet. And this is what he says. Verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. The reason he's saying this is because they are afraid and they are discouraged. It is very discouraging to serve God and have your life blow up in front of you. Unless you react like Jehoshaphat. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruil. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. That is a very repetitive message because they needed to hear the message twice. That's how fearful and discouraged they are. And God's instructions are very simple. You just gather everybody up and you go to the stadium and I'll say stadium in a loose way and you watch the fight. You're not going to join it. You're just going to watch. And what kind of answer is that? I don't understand that answer either because I'm not God and his perspective is absolutely different. So the facts are you go out there and you watch, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever until they go out there and they watch these guys going at each other because somehow their own rivalries, which they were able to overcome in the first place, have suddenly caught up to them. And the youngest or the smallest of the group says, hey, we don't like this or whatever. And the other guys say, hey, we really don't like you. And so they wipe them out. And in the midst of this bloodthirstyness that they're experiencing, they go, hey, wait a minute. I don't like you either. And so then they go at each other. And so in the end, this vast army destroys itself because it turned on itself because of something that God was working in the midst of the camp. God has delivered them. Now, how did they get to that place? They got to that place because they waited and they listened. I really think myself primarily struggle with the difficult circumstances in our lives because we do not wait to listen to what God has to say about what God is doing. Because we are in a hurry to solve this problem. So that we can rest and be at peace. So when the next problem comes, we are ready to solve the next problem in our own mind, in our own way, and in our own strength. Obviously praying as we go along, but really giving lip service to God and not really saying, God, what? What? If we want to follow the king, and this is why I say this is not the big idea, but it's something that I'm focusing on. If we want to follow this king... As we follow the King Jesus, I think we really need to learn how to wait. To slow down and say, God, what do you see? Three questions. Let me give them to you. God, what do you see? So that we can understand what the facts are and what ultimately the truth is. And God, what are you doing? Question number two. God, what are you doing? And then question number three, God, what do you want me to do? And you know what? In this instance, God didn't want him to do anything. Just go out there and watch have a picnic and pick up the spoils when everything was all said and done. Because what God sees is something different from what we see. And that's hard to accept. At least I think it is. It's hard for me to accept and say, God, these are my circumstances. And again, I'm repeating myself, but you know me and you know my circumstances and I do not understand what is going on. And I don't see anything happening. Why are you silent? Well, he sees something that I don't see. So now my decision is what? To look at the facts and say this is bad and it's getting worse? Or do I need to look at the truth and say, God, some odd reason you have a plan and you're bigger than this. And I'm going to trust that what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What's the thing that is going to be best in this situation? Not easiest, not painless, but ultimately, what is best? Because I really think when I think of Jehoshaphat in his reaction that he really cared about his people. Really, really cared about his people. And I don't know how many of you guys love Korean dramas. And I know I've said this before. But my favorite Korean drama in all of history, and the best one ever, and I have it on DVD if you want to borrow it, is the immortal Yi Sun-shin. Did I get an amen from that? Has anyone ever seen that but me? And my boys for a while. (laughs) Come on, you guys. This is how good this is. This drama is so good. If every politician was as politician y as this guy was, our world would be absolutely different. Because when he lost people, he took it to heart. It broke his heart, not the God bless the American people nonsense that we hear nonstop from left and right, because if y'all really wanted to bless us, it'd be different. Which, of course, I just lost our tax exemption. Sorry about that, (laughs) but seriously, and that's the thing that bothers me about left and right. Everybody's like, you know, come on, guys. This Yi Yisunson was so concerned when he lost people he cared and he refused to go into battle knowing that he would lose people because it bothered him that much. Now, he knows he's going to lose people when he goes to the battle. But when the king says, dude, you attack now, he said, no, because that's dumb. And we're going to lose and a lot of people are going to die and I'm not going to do it. And the king said, fine, you don't have to, you traitor. And they took him off and they threw him in prison and they beat the daylights out of him. And you know what happened in the end? They lost that big battle. And then the king wakes up and goes, whoa, wow, maybe he was right. Let's bring him back. Because he cared. And I think that is Jehoshaphat. So it's not like Jehoshaphat is going like, oh, yeah, I'm in my ivory tower. It's no big deal. You know, yada, yada. No, he cares. But he gets to a place. Grace he says, God, I am stuck. I just know that you're God. I know that you're bigger than the facts. The truth is that you have this in control. People are losing their lives. I don't understand. It's breaking my heart, but I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to wait. Let me repeat the three questions because I'm going to finish with this. Because I think sometimes as pastors, we tell you this is what you should do. And you sit there and you go, okay, I'm going to wait. So you sit there, and if you're like me, this is what's going to happen. About three seconds into it, you're going to go, man, I've got to write that email. Oh, I forgot to make that phone call. And I'm off on another track. Three questions. Here they are again. God, what do you see? God, what are you doing? And God, what do you want me to do? Ask those three questions. God, what do you see? God, what are you doing? And God, what do you want me to do? And it might be just to wait. As difficult as it is. So I think this king teaches us a lot of things about God. That his God he saw was bigger than the circumstances. But I think he gets to that place because he's learned how to slow down and be with God. Which isn't that? what Jesus did with the disciples call them to himself to be with him and then cast out demons and heal the sick, but as be with him first, because you can do a whole bunch of stuff on your own and and, and, and you can preach sermons and lead Bible studies and do all kinds of stuff by yourself, but you are missing out if you are not with him First, Because God doesn't call us to do first. He calls us to be with him. And when he reshapes us and fills us and makes us, he then sends us out. Jesus did not promise the disciples a wonderful road. He said, basically, y'all going to die and suffer just like I did. Come join the journey. But I promise you this. I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, sometimes I think most, if not all of us, feel like Habakkuk and wonder. And I look at my life and I see what happens and I see what's happening. I'm confused. Sometimes I'm even alarmed. I question you and wonder. What are you doing? Father, bring us to a place of waiting and rest. Not inactivity, but waiting and rest. Because, you know, God, we say we need you and you know it and we know it. Sometimes it is lip service, but we really need you. Sometimes we really don't know what to do. In the midst of such a horrible thing that's going on in our lives, I just want to throw in the towel and quit and walk away. I pray in those instances that you would come alongside of us, whether it's through your spirit or through the people who are here in this body of Christ, and speak to us. Help us to recognize. That the facts are facts; they are, are real. They cannot be denied. They must be dealt with. But there's a truth. If we really claim that you are God, really claim that you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Master of the Universe, Master of our lives and our souls, there's a truth that even in tragedy, you are still bigger. Losing a job, losing a loved one, seeing people that we love and care for struggle through great illness. Those are painful and frustrating. Because God, admittedly, when we look at things like that, we question maybe not all of us, some of us, maybe even just myself, wondering, I wouldn't do things that way. Why are you? Help us to be like Habakkuk, like Jehoshaphat and the people, to be silent before you. And though in this case, for Jehoshaphat and the people, it turned out great didn't do the same thing for Habakkuk and the people back then. God, you changed their attitude because they refused to change their actions. Father, we pray for your mercy and your grace to give us strength to be like Jehoshaphat, to resolve, to inquire of you. Father, please, we ask, do not hide yourself Do not walk us through the desert without a sense of your presence. Father, even now, I come, we come before you and ask, God, please, with boldness we ask, please give us mercy and grace to be strong. Not to endure and not to just persevere, but in some strange, divine, Holy Spirit Christ-like rejoicing for the cross, the greatest tragedy this world has ever known. That Jesus saw the joy set before him, not the cross, but the victory of the resurrection, an eternal life that all of us who follow Jesus, who believe in him, will experience. Our God, be God. Come and fill us in our pain, in our terror, and fill us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.